0: little known fact about my guest today. She is part of an extraordinary group of women called the Green Girl Sisterhood. And if you want to know more about what that means, listen to this conversation with the glorious Eden Espinoza. okay Hi, everyone. My guest today is the glorious Eden Espinoza. She's played almost every great female role ever written for a musical. Alphaba Wicked, Trina in Falsettos, Ava Perona in Evita, Maureen in Rent, Daniela in the Heights, just to name a few. You did that, my friend. Um, she's the voice of Cassandra on the animated series version of Tangle. Uh, she's on one million cast recordings, but two albums that I think are near and dear to her heart and mind are her debut album that's called Look Around, and then another album that she recorded of her original music called Revelation. Um, you can find out so many more things about the glorious Eden Espinoza on her website, EdenEspinoza.com. Um, but I am so incredibly thrilled to have you on the podcast today and in my office for a moment.
1: Um, I am so excited. Welcome. Thank you.
0: Um, how are you? How are you at this moment?
1: At this moment, um, considering all the chaos, I'm. I'm actually at. Pe- I have a lot of peace. I think I'm um, at a point in my life. I think during this whole pandemic, and obviously with you know uh what's happening happening politically i think i've um found a way to feel grounded and peaceful no matter where i am um which feels really good right now mm-hmm. um but um so my heart is is pretty happy um <laughs> even though the world is very chaotic right now but yeah. um you know yeah i'm happy but and hopeful
0: Do you have um, a practice, a spiritual practice? Um, Are you a meditator? What are things that you have found that aside from me seeing how politically active you are? And I know feeling helpful and doing things is the best Mm -hmm. antidote to what's going on in the world. Yeah. Um, But do you have other practices that are that bring you peace?
1: I, I mean, I that I don't have a regular routine, meaning like, you know, I don't have a, this is what I do, two, three, four steps, um, because I, I've learned that I need to just check in with myself and see where I am at any given moment, but I do meditate and it is very helpful for me Um it's funny that I've really realized that my, my physical body holds a lot of energy and emotion from things around me. And so I've really um, tuned into that in terms of, do I need to just go take a quick walk, stretch, um, do a physically active workout, take a bath, um, you know, things like that. Um, And, um, you know, I love, uh, creating things in my environment that make me feel calm, like my essential oils and my little like stones and crystals. Lighting is very good for me. Um, So that's all really come into practice during this pandemic, um, which has been helpful. Very, very helpful.
0: Eden, how did you make your Broadway debut?
1: Yes, I made my Broadway debut. um, Well, I was the standby for Adina Menzel so I was hired as a standby, but they also told me that I would understudy Nessa Rose as well. And then I, it had been several months into the run, and um, I had one understudy rehearsal for Nessa. They had moved, they had said, okay, now next week, this week for understudy rehearsal, um, let's do, let's focus on Nessa. And, uh, and I got a call Saturday morning. So I had rehearsal on Thursday. Of course I knew the lines and the music and all that. And, and I knew the, you know, I knew the, the blocking, but I had physically had one rehearsal with the wheelchair and all that stuff. That was on Thursday. Saturday morning, I get a call from stage management saying, um, Michelle is injured. Um, she had like thrown a rib out of out of alignment. And um, and you're on Vanessa today. <laughs> and so I made my probably debut as Nessa Rose. With one rehearsal, and it was the craziest wildest ride ever and were, so, you yeah. able,
0: were you able to call anyone and have friends or family come to that performance?
1: Yeah, I did have um, my, well, my my entire family lives on the west coast, so um, but I had my roommates come and and friends who were in town that were able to get tickets to come um, and so yeah. That's how I made my Broadway debut. And
0: then, how That's soon after did you go on uh, covering Edina?
1: I didn't go on for for Alphaba. I mean, Adina Edina didn't miss a show forever. And her first her first uh, time missing was scheduled. It wasn't even because she was sick. She was. Um, this was either right before the Tony's it was around the Tony's she was filming a movie with Colin Farrell um called ask the dust and she had to fly to LA to, to rehearse something or to do something and so it was a planned a planned um absence and I and it was I mean 10 months maybe into the run like it was no, no 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 that can't be a good six months yeah good six months um and uh and so yeah that was the first time we went on for Alphaba, which was planned but i i think in hindsight i i i would have preferred it the other way around not planned <laughs> no, no, no. to be shot yeah. out
0: of a cannon is a great way to yes. debut because you're just not yes. in your head and you're just like it's incredible yeah. so yeah you how many years were you mm. with wicked from beginning to and maybe again
1: in the future, but as of now. As Madame Morrible. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I just, I just said to Craig Burns the other day, uh, who, for those of you who don't know, is a casting director at, at Bernie Telsey, and I said to him, I was like, I can't wait to be Madame Morrible. <laughs> um, so I was with the show from, from beginning to end, from the, from the first year it opened, 2003 to 2010. And I did a contract every year um, for seven years. Um, and some, some of them were short, you know, in the beginning, um, right after I was the standby and I left to do Brooklyn, uh, Stephanie Block had, had been injured on the tour and I did the San Francisco leg of the tour. So that was like a six week, eight week run or something like that. And then I took over on Broadway. Um, and and then then until then I, I, I did a contract every year.
0: Wait, so they would pop you in to the national tour or places that the show was kind of seated in other states? Like, how does that work? Because I understand the blocking, the set, the way that the theater is out of town versus Broadway are completely different. Not your words, not your costumes, but in terms of everything else.
1: Yes,
0: yes, yes. So how did that happen?
1: So they brought me, you know, she had been, I guess like there was um, a, a way that they were going to fly Alphabet in on the tour for the beginning of No Good Deed. Originally she was going to fly in instead of come up on the elevator and something had happened. And Stephanie, you know, during a tech and Stephanie came unhooked and was like, she had a, a harness on and was like, hanging by one side of her body. Oh and had been injured and she she had continued to to do the show and and she was in PT and all this stuff and um they they wanted me to come in just in case she needed, you know, some rest. And and it was actually my agent who was like, uh, why don't you why doesn't she do one city? So Stephanie can completely like heal get better and then she could come back and finish the tour so that's that's what ended up happening so they brought me in early to la and i watched the show and got to and rehearsed there with lisa leguio and learned all the new blocking and the new because yeah like you said on tour you know there's not a lot of the elevator stuff there's you know different things because you're traveling and um not all theaters can can do the same things so um so yeah i watched the show a bunch in la i learned all the new things and i think i did one show in la as my as my put in um maybe one matinee i believe and then i um then i did the san francisco city stop i think it was 6 weeks or 8 weeks and then Stephanie came back and she she got to heal and she she did the rest of the tour. And then I took over for Shoshana on Broadway. And then I yeah, I did a I did a contract every year for seven years. It's crazy.
0: Do you think you know every word uh and lyric? Is it all in your head still? Do you dream about that? Like that you get a call?
1: No. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we it's funny because we've had I've had talks with several alphas, and, and those, especially those of us who were there in the, in the earlier years in the beginning um, it's whenever we have anxiety about something, it's like an anxiety wicked dream where they call you back and they're like, we need you to come in like last minute. And there's always, um you know, mine is I don't get painted green in time. And then like my hands are my, my skin color and I have to like kind of hide them until the next time I can get off stage. Some people will, you know, don't remember the lyrics. I don't remember the blocking. And I don't remember, I mean, the songs I remember, I think because I sing them so often still. Um, but I, I went back to see the show, um, uh, almost a year ago, um, for the 16th anniversary. And there were, there were scenes that I <laughs> literally didn't remember at all. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's right. This happens. Like just certain moments that, um, you know that even being in it, I used to love, and being away from it for so long, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so did you weird. Watch it going.
0: How did they do that? <laughs> I think, how do they?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, well, I really it really looks real. Like, <laughs> 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 wow, well, that spell really worked. She changed. She changed Bach into the Tin Man. That's incredible. <laughs> um, how did you Spoiler. get to play Maureen
0: in Rent? Like another, like the greatest, oh greatest. And also like the Adina of it all. How interesting that you guys are so Isn't that crazy? connected? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Rent, I mean, I always loved musicals and musical theater and, and, and always wanted to do it, you, you know, as, as a hobby. But like Rent was the first musical where I heard voices like mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I could... I could sing, like, I loved Les Mis, I loved all the, you know, Sound of Music and My Fair Lady, all the all the classics, but Rent was the first time that I was like, whoa, these voices, these people are on Broadway, like, I want to be in this show more than anything, and as soon as they started having open calls, I would stand in that line, I wasn't union, you know, I would stand in that line for hours and hours, and um, I auditioned, a lot over the years, and then, um, inc- you know, Maureen. got to always for marine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would go to the open call, and then they would, I would get a call back for marine, um, okay. and I never, you know, never made it past this this person for for the casting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for years and years and years, and then I moved to New York and started working, and then I had auditioned for the movie as well. This was before they. Went with the original cast for the most part, uh, for, more, f- mm-hmm. for the most mm-hmm. part, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then I was in LA about to finish um, my first run of the LA cast of Wicked, and I got a call. Um,
0: like what year is this? Just place us in time if you remember. Th-
1: yeah, this was in early 2008. Okay, uh huh. And um, I got a call asking if I wanted to. Be part of the closing cast. And wait, I was, yeah. Wait, just, oh, this is like, that. yeah, this is like the only time this has happened in my right. life. Like, so, this is the only time. All like, right, we're going to reenact. It was my age, like, I got a call from my agent at the time just saying, like, so they want to know your interest if you want to be Maureen and, you know, rent is closing and they want to know if you want to come in and be a part of this closing cast. And I was just like beside myself because I had been, you know, I had honestly, um, you know, made peace with the fact that I might not ever get to do this show, you know? And, um, and, uh, I actually emailed Joe Mantello and then had a conversation with him about it because for some reason continue, like I, I, I had this story in my head just because I'd been compared to Adina for so much over the years. Like, is this going to be a comparison? Are people going to, is this going to be bad? Look for my career. Like I just wanted to pick his brain about it. And um, he said, no, absolutely not. Like you guys are two different people. You're two completely different takes on everything. I know you get compared a lot. um, But you absolutely should do this. This is a big deal. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> and and then I and then I headed headed back to New York. And I was just in the show from you know the last few months from like May to September it was the summer of dreams, cast of dreams.
0: Wow. And Tell
1: then we shortly Yeah, I mean it was just such a beautiful full circle moment for me because um I took a trip to New York with one of my best girlfriends in high school and our moms and I had never been to New York and none, none of us had ever been to New York and all I cared about was seeing rent and we bought tickets for a scalp from a scalper. And um, we, you know, I just like weeped and sobbed and it was just like, you know, the show and met everybody afterward, took a picture with it. You know, like she was just my, you know, I just wanted to be her and I wanted to be Maureen like more than anything. And so that, that ignited and cemented my dreams of coming to New York and being on Broadway. Wow. Um, yeah. And so it was just like, just such a monumental time for the show and for all of us involved. And then we, and then we found out that we were going to film it. Um which was, you know, just another layer of icing on, on a beautiful, delicious cake. <laughs> um, and it was just very, very special.
0: So I want to go back. W- tell me where you grew yes. up and, and when and at the, some point people around you and you noticed that you sing remarkably well and have a gift. And so it's it just is a fact. Like you have a gift. You can't even take credit for the gift. You were born with this gift. We'll give other people credit for it. But we will give you deep credit Okay. for <laughs> working so hard to preserve it and grow it and nurture it and share it with other people. And so mm. you know, I've heard in other interviews and I want this to be New for people that it, you know, you were one of those kids who was singing and dancing and doing all the classes, all the extracurriculars, but, mm-hmm. but like, when did you fall deeply in love with the craft and understanding what discipline also has to go hand in hand with this
1: God-given gift that mm. you have?
0: Can you just talk a little bit about and,
1: that? yeah. That's a good question, actually, a really good question um, because I feel like when I grew up, you know, when I was a kid, this type of thing was truly a hobby unless you had a parent that mm-hmm. either you lived in the LA area that was like pushing for you to be on TV or like it just wasn't as easy, I think. And my parents, um, although musically gifted, are were not show people, you know what I mean? never did this professionally so they didn't push me in any direction other than they just you know i was in classes i was in lessons i was in children's theater because i loved it and um it what wasn't really until i i grew up in orange county california okay. um, which is about an hour south of la and anaheim specifically um which is right near disneyland or but where Disneyland is. And um, yeah, I remember specifically when Mariah Carey came onto the scene, like I just couldn't understand w- what this human being was doing. And I was around in eighth grade um, when she like really hit and I would just practice and practice and practice until I um, could do it. And I remember, you know, you know, when you're a kid and your your parents take you like on all the errands, um, you know, I would want to stay in the car just so I could like sing. And I remember this one song on her first album, Vanishing. Like my dad was, when dad was running errands, he was in the store, I was in the car and I had I had like sang the song from beginning to end. And I my, my dad came back in the car. I was like, dad, I did it. I sang it. I sang Vanishing. And he was like, Oh, okay, Miha, like, you know, okay, okay. And he's like, let me hear it, let me hear it. And I sang it for him. And this was cassette tape days, like, you know, so I had to rewind it <laughs> and then, you know, stop it. Um, and I remember clocking the look on my dad's face, like, and and remember it registering like he's looking at me like this isn't normal. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I just remember feeling like oh, okay, uh. Um, but it wasn't really until I got to New York, actually, that I had that I realized I needed to um, have the discipline because. In Southern California, I was afforded the opportunity to make a living as a performer without any issue. You know, there's tons of, there's Disneyland, there's Universal Studios, there's industrial work, there's regional theater. There's a lot of opportunity in that area to to work and make a living. And so when I moved to New York was the first time that I wasn't singing every day. And so I hadn't ever felt my instrument or my muscle out of shape. Hmm if that makes sense. yeah. And I remember, and I remember like going to an audition after I had done, after I'd moved to New York, I'd done the workshop for Brooklyn and I, I went home to LA, packed up my stuff, moved back. And I remember going to an audition where Alex Lacamoire was the MD, which he was our original MD for Brooklyn, the musical in, in the workshop phase. And, um, it was you know a 60s type thing and you know he uh, i sang natural woman and i went to sing it and my voice was like what the heck do you think you're doing and it was the first time that had ever really happened to me and i put it together that i was like you're not singing every day the way you normally would because i'd had gigs every day or singing at disney every day or and um i was like oh so i need to i need to like sing every day in order for my muscle to be as agile as I need it to be. So that was the first time that I realized um, that I had to have um, a routine and I had to keep my muscle ready. Um, So did I answer your question? (laughs)
0: 100%. But how did you decide to move to New York? Did you get Brooklyn? Were you cast in that show, the workshop version, which is how it began, in LA? Or did you get that in New York?
1: I was cast in LA. So that
0: brought you here?
1: That brought me here. The workshop brought me here. Yeah, I was working at Universal Studios. And, you know, a lot of my friends in L.A. had gone to do national tours. Um, they were a little older than me. They had gone to na- national tours, Broadway, and all that, and then come back home to L.A. because a lot of people like the quality of life better. And so I was surrounded by people who were always TV, film, Broadway, tours. And I had made it t- down to the wire for a couple of um, shows that, Dave Clemens was casting. He was a casting director back in the day. And um, he called me in uh, for this workshop. And I didn't even know what a workshop was because I didn't go to school for this. So he, I had, I had made it down to the wire a couple of times. So he knew who I was. He called me up. I didn't have an agent. He called me up and he said, you know, there's a workshop in this new musical, uh, Jeff Calhoun. And he like, read down his credits and John McDaniel, who I knew from the Rosie show because I watched it every day. uh, uh, There Jeff is directing, John is involved in producing, and we haven't quite found what we're looking for in New York and we're coming to LA and I think you should audition. I got off the phone and this was between shows. Um, universal. And I got off the phone and I asked my friends, like, what does this mean? Like, what is this? And should I do it? And what does this mean? They're like, ah, yes, you're doing it. It's originating a role audition. And the auditions were at Mary Lou Henner's house. Um, They weren't even at like, because they were, I think they were just seeing like two or three people maybe. Um, And I went to Mary Lou Henner's house and I sang and read a scene and then I got cast in the workshop. And so the workshop in the, in the summer of 2002 is when we did the workshop. And once that was finished, I, it was two weeks later, I went home and packed up my stuff and then moved to the city. That when got me you, my equity card. Um, right. Yeah, my agent. And yeah, you that hitter. got me. A- it
0: got
1: you all the <laughs> things. Um, yes.
0: When you come back, with your, mm-hmm. like, in earnest, all packed, who do you live with?
1: Well, um, there were a few of us from, uh, from L.A. who had, you know, known each other from regional theater and such that we're all, we all moved to New York at the same time. And I, I got my own apartment in Queens, my first time living on my own. Wow. Um, I'd had room. I lived on my own in L.A., but I had roommates. Yeah. And the apartment was real, real bad. Um, (laughs) there was like huge roaches and it was just awful. And I would, I was physically ill from anxiety and like, I was crying all the time. I thought I made the biggest mistake of my life. And then I ended up moving in with my friends who all lived together and my closet. And of course they didn't plan on me living there. So I lived like my closet was one of those wardrobe boxes from the storage unit and like two bins that I would, cause all the closets were full, but like we had the best time, <laughs> you know? Um, so I lived with them and it was nice to have a little, like, you know, little family that we, that we all knew each other and loved each other. So did you get fun. wicked through an open call? Well, I, I had received um, several appointments uh, from agents. through the Brooklyn workshop. So, um, I got my first manager through that workshop and then I had a bunch of meetings with agencies. Um, and so the wicked call came through my first agent and it, and and it, it. yeah. Yeah. Later. the The first call was for Nessa Rose for when they went out of town. Okay. And then I didn't get that. And then, um, and then, They were out of town in San Francisco. Brooklyn was out of town in Denver. And actually, Stephanie Block called me because we knew each other from Orange County. Uh Um, She was like the queen, uh, you know, that we all loved and looked up to. Um, And she had worked at Disney and done a musical regional theater out there. And um, she was the queen and still is. Mm -hmm. And she, uh, yeah, she called me up and, and said, you know, I got cast in a show called Boy From Oz and I'm not going to be in Wicked any longer. And they're going to be looking for, you know, an understudy or a standby, and you should tell your agent that you want to go in. Um, and so I did, and they knew me from the audition before. And so, yeah, I went in, Stephanie coached me on the audition because, um, you know, there was no, I didn't have access to have somebody play, plunk out the song for me. She sang Defying Gravity, acapella. I recorded her singing it. She gave me the, like, I didn't, they wouldn't give me the script. So she, it was the fallen house scene um, with the fight with Glinda. She coached me on the scene. And that's when I, that's when I booked the standby. And they actually they actually were looking for both the understudy and the standby. But because in my mind I wanted Brooklyn to be my like first, you know, my first onstage role. Um, I was like, I'll take the standby cause I didn't even know what the difference was. I had to have my manager or my agent explain it to me. <laughs> well, will you tell
0: people in case there's someone listening who doesn't quite understand what the lingo
1: differentials yes. are? Absolutely. So, um, an understudy is some somebody in the cast who has their own role every night, and you also under in the ensemble, and you also understudy a principal. Um, and a standby is uh, meant to just literally do that standby. And uh, and so, for example, in Wicked, there's a standby for Glinda and for Elphaba, and the rest of the principals are covered by understudies who are in the ensemble or in smaller. Uh, supporting principal roles. Um, and so, yeah, I chose, I chose a standby and the standby is always the first one to go on. And then if the standby is sick or unable to, then the understudy will go on.
0: So you're saying you wanted to do the standby so that if Brooklyn happened, mm-hmm. or when Brooklyn happened, you could mm-hmm. do that show have your understudy go on for you in Brooklyn if they called you over? No,
1: no. I just, <laughs> in my, my, in my, in my like very naive musical theater mind, yeah. I wanted, I, even though Wicked was my first Broadway credit, I yes. wanted my first onstage every night role to be Brooklyn. Got it.
0: Because
1: I had developed it from the yes. beginning and, you know, and so I was like, I don't want to be on stage every night. Um in Wicked. I want to wait until Brooklyn to be on stage every night as Brooklyn. Um, And you were. And I was. Yes. And you was. Yes. And I was. Um,
0: (laughs) So I know that Wicked has like seven years. That's an extraordinary thing. And and other than like a, a series on television, there are so few things in the world of performing that go on for that long but um and I and I would say it's undeniable and you can correct me that that was something that kind of put you out into the world and this community in a way um that gave you exposure and fandom Mm -hmm. and belovedness by millions of people Um, Mm -hmm. but then you make your own music too and you've You've been really prolific in that way. Mm. And I want to talk to you about, A, in one of the first cabarets you did, I think it was called Me, Me, mm. Me. Yes, um, Me. Yeah. Billy Porter was your was your partner in crime when you did that. Yes. And, and that was before Kinky Boots, I think, or right? Yes, so, yes. Um, Now, everybody knows who Billy Porter is, but at the time, only a select few got to understand the brilliance um, of this just gorgeous, uniquely gifted performer. Um, Yeah. How did you guys come together and how was it that he helped you create that show? Um, Yeah. And how did you decide to call it Me, which is so bold and brave and cool?
1: Yeah, there was um a cabaret venue in West Hollywood. Uh ca- well, there were two two guys, Shane Shale and Chris Isaacson, and they created Upright Cabaret, which had concerts at a restaurant in West Hollywood called Marks. And um it was it was, you know, the musical theater hang of uh, where people would go and and hear cabaret and they would have musical theater nights and and it was just like a fun time and they had talked to me about, uh, creating a show and what did I think about Would i be interested in it. And then, um, once I said yes, they, you know, talked about having a director, which I had never done before because, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted it to be themed and they're like, what do you think about, um, Billy directing it? I'm like, uh, what do I think about it? Absolutely. Um, and so it was actually the first time that I had been involved in, in putting myself in a cabaret instead of just singing a bunch of songs, you know. And, um, we, we called it me. Be, you know, he he just was very good about guiding and leading. Um, and this was when he had been directing a lot. Like he hadn't performed in a long time and been directing a lot of theater and also concerts and. Um, he just has a gift for for bringing out things in you and guiding you through what the right answer is. Like he never, you know, I just remember it was so long ago, but I just remember uh, feeling that my input was uh, valued and valid. Um, and you know, although he had very much a hand in all of it. Um, it 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 the source was from me mm-hmm. and which felt um felt empowering and felt really good and so um it was kind of centered around the growing pains that i had gone through it, you know personally and and professionally and in relationships as well um through song and so it was just like you know we whittled the song list was huge at first and whittled away and whittled away and um It was a very organic process. Um, and, and we took it, we did it, uh, we did it in LA and then we took it to Joe's pub and then we brought it back to the Ford amphitheater in LA and it's for a sold out crowd. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. So it was amazing. And, and, you know, they've gone on to produce other things for other people. They, they, um, Shoshana did a sold out night there as well. And a bunch of her, her Barbara Streisand's show that she had worked on with Billy as well. So it was like a nice, um, it was just a beautiful time for, for all of us.
0: So is there like a coven? Like, is there a sisterhood of, you've mentioned Shoshana and you've mentioned Adina and you've mentioned Stephanie and, yeah. and, and all of these yeah. incredible, extraordinary artists. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a, a myth that that we don't all support. I, not we. I'm not putting myself in that in that club. But I'm <laughs> saying there's a myth that women um, don't always support each other uh, right. in the ways that that they should. Um, yeah, I have yeah. never experienced that. I've always felt so held up by by my sisters. Um, it's a rare okay. thing when all of these people are playing the same role over time. That's sort of a different a very unique gift yes. that you guys, but, but yes. tell me about that. Cause you keep referencing them. I and mean, the idea that Stephanie kind of spoon fed you, uh, the tools yeah. to then get the part is so in keeping with who people think she is. Um, yes. Like, wow. So, so yeah. is there a kind of like text thread of alpha buzz or.
1: There definitely is. We call it like we've called it the green girl sisterhood. <laughs> Because, and and it kind of, it kind of started, you know, with those of us who had done it in the very beginning, just because there were so few of us at the time. And um, nobody really knows what that, (laughs) what that role entails, unless you've done it. And you can tell someone about it and you can tell all the stories, but unless you've experienced it and and specifically at the Gershwin, um, (laughs) just because the stage is raked and there's stairs and there's underground paths and there's all this stuff that's just insane. Um, And yeah, it is, it is a sisterhood. It is something that we, that we know about and that nobody else knows about. And what's beautiful is over time, you know, I've had, I've had DMs and formed relationships with newer Alphabas that, you know, perhaps even saw me in the show when they were like 10 and now, you know, or something like that, which is the, its own thing, but, you know, just encouraging them to know, you know, I, I, I formed a Instagram relationship with Hannah who, who did it a couple of years ago. And that's how I became friends with Jessica Vosk as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, knowing like, the stress, you know, because now I, I feel like I think Shoshana and I have had this conversation. Where in the beginning, when we did it, 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 of course, it was popular, but it wasn't this worldwide phenomenon, which I think sometimes can play a mental game on people, and you can feel pressure that you know manifests itself differently for you know physically, vocally, spiritually, emotionally, and um, I just remember. If I had seen something on social media, I'd just been like, if you, you have to take care of you, pace yourself, it's okay, you know, and, and it's nice to, it's nice to be able to offer that to somebody, like, you're not alone, we've all been there, you're going to be okay, and you're going to make it. It's also not that deep. We tend to like make it into right. some, you know, we, we're playing dress up for a living. Yes. And if you need to call out, you need to call out. Yeah. Like you have to take care of you. There is a career and life beyond wicked mm-hmm. and you don't need to destroy yourself because of it. Um, and so that makes me, it makes me happy. It makes me so um, humbled and honored to be a part of something so big in the beginning and to see that it's still touching people to this day. It's it's amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But to that end, I want to talk a little bit about something that I have seen you really active on social media and in all sorts of contexts with our beloved Karen Olivo and other people just really trying during Mm. this very specific moment in time, not just the politics of our nation, but very much the the politics of our industry, which is making Broadway which has this appearance of equality and equability and I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. I like Um, it, I like it. And diversity (laughs) and all the things that we walk in life feeling really passionately about. Um, You have put your face and your voice to really talking about these very hard issues for when our community does come back together. Um, mm-hmm. So I just want to talk a little bit about where you are with that and what your feelings mm. are about that and and what you wake up thinking about when you think about the future of the artistic community that you're so front and center yeah. and I love it
1: in. Thank you. Um, well, it, you know, uh, Karen and I this all started from a conversation we had um, shortly after George Floyd was murdered. And we found out that there were theater owners and producers that had contributed to 45's campaign. Um, And I, I was just, I was gutted. I really was um, destroyed uh, because I felt duped and I felt like, what have I been doing um, sending these messages and like, you know, playing these characters and really believing that we were all on the same page. And I, it ignited a spark in both of us. And, um, we decided to start an organization. Um, we started affect change, which is artists for economic transparency. Um, just about it started for both of us that like, I feel stupid, like quite literally, I said, I don't know what's going on. And I, should know, and I want to know, and I mm-hmm. want to know more about our business and I want to be more informed and empowered. And so that's what it started as, you know, we're not um, we're not wanting to cancel anybody or shame anybody. What we want to do is, is provide the information that's out there for everyone to see and to learn. It's just carefully hidden. Um, and then let you decide, you know, because once we started posting about it, there were a lot of audience members and, um, stakeholders in, in the arts saying like, wow, I wish I would have known this. I wouldn't have bought my season ticket for the Pantages, or I would have thought twice about, you know, X, Y, Z. And, and so it's really about, um, empowering people. And that's how I feel about us artists as well. You know, we're shut down right now and now is the time we just have so much more power than we think we do. And we are conditioned to be Oliver (laughs) Sir more, please, you know, and we are conditioned to do that because um, the people in the powerful positions want to have power over us, which, you know, I'm not faulting them for that, but I'm, I want us to rise up and to be like, no, I don't want to align myself with that. I want to ask for this. I'm not going to feel bad about it. Um, and this, we are just, I, I want to break open that stigma of my reputation. What if I burn bridges? Like, what if you do? Do you want to work with those people? You want to work with somebody like that? I just feel more and more every day is that if we spoke up and linked arms and really was like, no to this, it will change. And that's, you know, it's the same thing of saying like, why do you think your vote is being suppressed? Because it's powerful. Do you know what I mean? Why do you think we've been conditioned to be in this? Well, you should be grateful for every opportunity you have. Well, yeah, I should. And I want to be, but also I want to have a voice and I want to have a stake in it and I want to be in control and we are in control. Um, But I think it's just so much fear involved with like, but what if I never work again? And so for me, where I was in my life, I literally had to sit with myself and go, are you going to be able to continue to work for producers who give to people like that? And my answer was no, which is why I I released that video of saying I'm not going, I'm going to do what I can to learn everything of where money is going. Because of course, I don't want to tell you, you can't be a Republican. You know what I mean? I don't want to tell you what you can and can't do. But if you're doing, starting organizations that help, you know, underprivileged communities that help communities and and people who are discriminated. Discriminated against, um, I really felt in my heart like if this is the end for me. Meaning with theater on Broadway, I had a good run. Like I'm proud of everything I've done. Um, Of course, there are goals that I wanted to achieve outside of that, but um, you know, if I work for a nonprofit theater that is, you know, lifting up LGBTQIA plus and and BIPOC, then I'm going to be happy doing that and feel good about my life and sleeping at night.
0: Did you feel like you experienced firsthand racism?
1: Not to the degree of, you know, that's also something that I've had to sit with, um, in my, my proximity to whiteness, even though I am full-blooded Latina, Mexican American, um, you know, I haven't experienced a lot of the things that other uh bipoc people have. um I've really gone into looking at things that are new to my brain um that I might be considered white because my skin is the color that it is um, and what that means for me i've had I've had comments made to me uh about that I don't look you know I don't look Mexican oh well why well what is and I've said like well what does Mexican look like and I've had a a composer uh say to me one time like as a you know obviously as a joke but it's not funny um well you know I mean you don't have a lot of facial hair (laughs) yeah um or you know if i come in one day with like hoop earrings and red lipstick it's like wow you look really latina today i was like well what does that mean i look latina i am latina we come in all sorts of shades just like everybody else my cousins in mexico have blonde look like you like you know what i mean um so i but it's not even a fraction of not even a hair of a fraction of what people experience on the on the regular um and I think for me, what really was the realization of of all of my my black friends is that I didn't fully realize what they carry around every day to exist on this planet and walk with every day, and that was the huge of like, wow, you feel this every day that nobody that you know when you go. It was it was it was my close circle of friends, but it was also Daniel Watts when he said one of the many killings. And he went to the producers at Hamilton, was like, "I want to do something," and they're like, "Yeah, we gotta we gotta be careful about that." And him him just feeling like I'm invisible, we're invisible, and that that is I don't want to go back to an industry where people feel people I love feel invisible. I don't I don't want I don't want to do that. I want to I want changes to be made and I'm and I'm we're we're working on it.
0: <laughs> do you feel hopeful?
1: I do. I do because we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of town halls, a lot of, you know, I think it's going it, to it I'm as 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 hard as it is to say I'm grateful for this time. I really am because it it it, it wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the right people are being woken up, the right people who are in those positions of power are being tapped on the shoulder and on the heart and the right people are listening to it. And it's going to, it might not be in my lifetime, you know, it, it might not, but I feel like the ripples are having an effect and, it, and, and I do feel hopeful
0: yeah and you're part of what's making those ripples and it's mm. really inspiring and I'm really grateful I watch you and I listen to you and you've been a Thank real leader you. for me and I really look forward to um getting to see you perform again in person um me too i I have great faith that that's going to happen i I don't think um I don't think you're going to have to walk away. I think there there are spaces that are going to open up um, that you feel proud to work in. I think that's I agree. what you and Karen and, and Britton and so many incredible yes. and, and Daniel, I mean, my God, the jam, all, all of these. I know I, that's a whole other, just the, the power of the performance that is coming out of the, um, this moment the art that is coming out yes just waking so many of us up in in ways that's just extraordinary um before i let you go and it all seems so i don't know um to ask for a little known fact when you've shared just such huge beautiful truths um, (laughs) i want to take the word little out of it because there's nothing about you that could be little
1: Um, Oh my gosh, so nice. Because
0: you're a very powerful human. But is there anything that comes to mind that you can share that pops in your head that maybe is a LKF about Eden Espinoza?
1: I was on the track of being like a classical musician and a classically trained ballet dancer. (laughs) We got to
0: start again. Rewind.
1: What? So, like, in third grade for my talent show, I played Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Um, and, like, which on instrument? the piano, on the piano, okay. on the piano. Okay. Um, I also played violin, but I was more, I, I played the piano more. Okay. Um, and then I I was in a ballet conservatory, Um, you know, with the strict, like, only a certain color tights and leotard and, like, weigh-ins until I tore ligaments in my ankle chasing a boy. <laughs> when I was in fifth grade so from like three to ten I was like in it to win it and then after that I never went back fully and that's when I started I mean I always sang but that's when like singing really like I was more well balanced maybe I would have been more like Sun Foster and done more like a triple threat thing.
0: seven, eight. Seven and eight I don't know <laughs> but wait running after a boy
1: Yeah, at church, at church.
0: (laughs) Were you like jumping over pews? Like how did the ligaments- There was
1: like, it was like, you know, we had been let out and he was like darting in and out of people. And I went to like do the dart that he did and my ankle just gave way. And I was out of school for like maybe four, like it was a bad, a bad ligament tear. I was out of school for maybe a month. What so did there we go. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: loved him. I did. Um, of all I the did. things you've said in the, it's now four days later that I've kept you uh, on this, on this conversation.
1: It's gone by and so fast. Four well, days.
0: Four days. I know you didn't, you didn't even eat anything. Was yes. how you said your father looked at you. When you sang Vanishing, "Vanishing" by Mariah Carey, he saw you, and he didn't try to squelch it or or tell you to go right instead of left. Right, he just celebrated you. Um, and now we all get to celebrate you. So thank you, Eden, for being with me today and for sharing oh, so much. This was glorious. my pleasure.
1: It was been it has been a great great chat. Thank you for having me.
0: Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City.
1: Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this?